I think when you start to experience the power of generosity, um, it's addictive. And, and when you start realizing that there is actually a job where you can invite others into that journey and, and kind of learning the, the power of generosity. And we always say, you know, generosity begets generosity, whether, you know, giving out of your time or giving out of your um, financial capacity or whatever that might be, you start to realize how it changes your own life. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey, y'all. Welcome back for another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, Lindsay and I are joined by Ben Green. As I share in the interview, the moment I met Ben, I knew I wanted to get to know him more. He's such a quiet, humble, yet impactful presence. I remember wanting to learn about the way he leads not only himself, but the teams that he serves. He joins us for a conversation all about the role of doing your own work as a leader, the power of generosity, and why we need to be elevating all the voices at the table. Ben's resume is impressive, but who he is as a human is even more impressive. For nearly 20 years, he has brought a combination of heart and efficiency to the nonprofit space. He has helped alleviate human suffering while promoting sustainable change at renowned organizations such as World Vision and Food for the Hungry. He now dedicates his talents to helping Charity Water end the global water crisis as the Chief Development Officer. As I said, he has an impressive resume but I can't wait for you to get to know him on a personal level. Meet our friend, Ben. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to officially introduce you to Ben Green. Ben, I met you because you came and did an on-site program, and we kind of overlapped a little bit, and I just walked away wanting to know you more. So I'm so excited to get to sit down and hear your story a little bit and some of the things that make your heart come alive, and I hope that everyone... Uh, takes away a little bit of piece of Ben today because they are lucky to get to know you. Yeah, I say I probably say this too often, but I really (laughs) mean it this time that Ben is one of my very favorite people. Yes. And I think that there's so much to learn from him because how he shows up professionally and personally. I know that he is a great husband to Melissa and a great father to his Mm. kids. And I think that when I think of you, Ben, I just think about how caring you are. And I think anyone that gets to interact with you sort of learns quickly just from your posture that you're caring and reliable and Mm. just so kind. And so Mm. I feel like we need more men like that in the world. And so I'm excited Mm. to talk to you today. Thank you, Lindsay. So I've known Ben a long time. We worked together uh, at a nonprofit several years ago. He was actually my boss. So I have gotten to be the recipient of your leadership. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that I wanted to just pick your brain about was how sort of doing work around your emotional health, your spiritual health have impacted your leadership. Yeah. Well, thank you both. For, first of all, um, <laughs> so great to spend this time. I was looking forward to this. And um, it, it, as far as, you know, just I think anytime you you look in the mirror and start reflecting on, on, on how you think, how you operate, how you feel, what motivates, what expectations do you have of yourself? 
when you can start to identify some of those things, I think it, it then becomes very natural to start to explore, okay, how does this then impact and affect others around me mm, yeah. in general, in life? Um, and then, especially as it pertains to, to leadership. And uh, I, I don't know if anyone can truly lead really, really well without first doing some of this work of understanding how they themselves work and understanding their own gaps and mm. strengths. And uh, yeah, I think I kind of go back to, to the expectations that I have of myself, because I think so much about leadership is the expectations that you put on others. Mm. And so for me, it's it's uh, I, just my time at OnSite was so really transformative in, in exploring in exploring some of that in my own story and, and history. I remember um, after I did my Living Centered program and started doing more therapy that so often what I talk about when I was both at OnSite and beyond um, was things that were happening in my professional context, either yeah. wounds, professional wounds, or, you know, like just things that felt hard in the day-to-day mm. that I didn't know how to navigate. And I remember so vividly as I got more awareness of sort of our connection to like past traumatic experiences and yeah. like even getting more connected with my inner child that then yes. I like could become aware of current professional moments where I felt like a child in how I was showing Absolutely. up. Like I remembered I had this like really intense interaction at work that I needed to have like a really direct conversation with somebody. And I was so afraid of how it was going to go. And I could like picture myself as a child hiding under the desk, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was like so bizarre because it was like kind of outer body of like, Oh, I am not showing up as my adult self with all my faculties. This is like connected to something else entirely. And I think prior to doing this work, I would have just stuffed that feeling down and then showed up as that child in the conversation, kind of hiding and cowering instead of being able to like regain my adult faculties and like ground myself in the present and be Mm -hmm. able to like, respond as I wanted to. Mm. And so I'm just curious if y'all have had that experience at all. Or I mean, it's just, it's funny because I think we think about our emotional health as a compartment and then our professional lives as a different compartment. But in my experience, that's where I need so much of the help. Yes. Yes, it informs so much of the other. And I mean, honestly, at OnSite, I had a couple of instances throughout the week, throughout the work in the process where... It was me talking to 10-year-old Ben. It was me, you know, really addressing 11-year-old me in this particular instance or the ideas that I started to frame about myself during that season, during that time of my life, during those formative years where I had to have a full-on conversation and and thankfully, one of the staff there at OnSite helped lead this conversation that I was having with you know, 11 year old Ben, what, what do you want to tell? What do you want to tell him mm. now? And, you know, because I have, as I've, as I've gotten older, I have kept as so many of us do the voices or the voice that mm-hmm. sits there 
that is still talking to you as if you are 10, right? Yeah. As if you are 11 years old. And so for me to look at that and say, to talk to that voice directly and say, look, I know you're trying to be helpful, but I am not 10 anymore. I'm a grown yeah. man, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, and I have to. I'm um, highly successful. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but believing that, I mean, I totally hear you, Lindsay, to, to have that picture in your mind of, of, of you crawling under a desk to not have this kind of direct conversation. I, I get it. I, I completely get it. I think when you were talking about the different compartments, I think that's one of the greatest learnings that I took away from my time at Onsite and also just being a team member at Onsite is that our there we're holistic whole beings and the person that I am at home, the more congruent I can get with the person that I am at work, the yeah. better every area of my life is going to be um, because I'm showing up wholeheartedly. But I have recognized the ways that narratives that from different contexts, like like you were saying, as an 11-year-old self, you know, I carry this belief that I'm a burden in rooms or I carry this belief that mm. I am too extra because I won't, I won't sound smart. One of my, you know, deepest fears as a child was that someone would think I was stupid. And so I, I see that mm. come up more and more in a work context. And just having that ability to step back and say, who who's talking right now? Whose voice is that? And how old am I? Um, sometimes my therapist yeah. would ask me that, like, okay, when you make that statement, how old are you? Yeah. And, it, and it threw me off at first. And I was like, I don't like that. But I started to do it a little bit in work context. Like, how old are you? Are you showing up as your whole successful self? Or are you showing up as the 11-year-old who's trying to prove her point? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I resonate a lot with that, y'all. I love this conversation because I think so often people think about going to therapy or attending someplace like onsite and they think about, you know, crisis management, crisis prevention. Yeah potentially self-care but what we're really talking about is like optimization mm -hmm. of like how you perform and I think that a lot of people miss the possibility of experiencing their like full potential because yeah. they're kind of trapped in this version of themselves and not willing to look at some of the hard things that yeah. are holding them back so yeah I think I think it's both and I think it's looking at some of the hard things and then also looking at some of the beliefs that you potentially have about yourself that are holding you back um, and not believing what others are telling you that are good things. Um, mm. You know, that, that you, you possess strengths that might not feel or seem like strengths to you, um, but being aware of kind of, of, of the idea of what others, how others perceive you and how you show up. Um, I think it's, it's both, it, you kind of get both sides of that, right, of dealing with um, both and. Ben, you are the chief development officer now at Charity Water. So that means that you're responsible for the fundraising yes. of this massive yes. organization. Will you just speak to a little bit about sort of what you do and why you love it? Sure. So, um, yes, as you said, it's, uh, you know, Charity Water um, has been around for about 15 years. It's now provided clean water. We've raised enough funds to provide clean water to 15 million people. Um, globally, wow. um, which sounds like a whole lot. Um, but even, even as we have this conversation today, there's still 771 million people around the world that don't have access to, to clean water. So um, one in 10 people, one in 10 people on the face of the planet um, do not have have um, a reliable source of, of clean water. So, you know, the, the, the problem is big. Um, and so we can't help but think at scale at Charity Water. And, and for only being 15 years old, we had our first 
um, $100 million year this past year in 2021 and, wow. and look to far um, surpass that this year. So, you know, and, and we really feel compelled to move faster than ever because, you know, we have this, we, we're kind of facing this problem that the crazy thing about it is it's completely solvable. Um, we, yeah. we know we have the solutions to provide clean water. It's just, it's just the resources, it's just the capital. Um, and so my team um, and I'm truly surrounded by some of the most talented fundraisers on the planet. And they uh, work day in and day out incredibly hard to, you know, experience growth like like we've never seen before. And in the nonprofit sector, um, you know, Charity Water has kind of time and time again been one of those that has seemingly been able to lead in many ways. And so I feel yeah. a, a, an incredible responsibility to try to figure out how do we innovate? How do we continue to, you know, our, our vision is to reinvent charity, right? How do we continue mm that reinvention of charity and what we think about charity and how we, uh, you know, one of the kind of initial innovations that happened within our organization was that we adopted what we call a hundred percent model. And that mm. is that anybody that gives every penny that they, that they give goes directly to clean water. We take all, you know, we, we fund all of the overhead from the organization from a small group of about 130 families that, they give all to the um, the overhead side of the organization. So we have two buckets uh, of, of revenue. One is is the overhead, and one is the water. Um, so the public facing um, piece of what we do is 100% clean water funding. And so, but it's that constant uh, responsibility of figuring out how do we do this differently. How do we approach this um, with kind of a fresh you know lens? And and so that. That responsibility is is a is a tall one, um, mm -hmm. but that's also what creates the fun is in the challenge. Yeah, you use the word responsibility several times, and I wanted to circle back to that. How do you manage and carry the responsibility of something that I can just visually see that you care so much about, while also balancing all the other demands in your life? What does that look like? I think having worked in the nonprofit Ooh. space myself, it can get really fatiguing and really tiring when you're doing yeah. work that you believe in and there is a face on the other side of the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I don't I don't know how well I do it to be honest. I don't know if I do it. Well. <laughs> so, um I would say, you know, I I I got into this work at the very beginning because I wanted to figure out and find a way to help people. Yeah. And it was big and broad. I loved, um, I kind of was interested in humanitarian relief and development. And my last couple of college years was, it was interested. I had no idea I'd be doing this as a career at, at this point, but mm -hmm. I, I got into to help people. So you, you kind of have the, the beneficiary side of, of what you do, right? And it's mm -hmm. this idea of 771 million people going to sleep tonight without access to clean water is jarring. And it's, and it's, there's a heavy sense of responsibility that comes with that. And I have, I have within my uh, within my own sphere of influence and uh, the ability to change that, that it, to to reduce that number, right? And so yeah. there's that responsibility. The other responsibility is I love I love working with teams. I love my people um, okay. and the the team that I get to work with day in and day out that I um, am so privileged to serve. They are my other responsibility. That that just you know when I think about career and I think about work. Um, we do have the beneficiary side, and then we have the staff side. As you stated, McKinsey, working in the nonprofit space, many days you feel like you're being pulled in every direction, and 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 
and stress is a real thing and burnout is a real thing. Yeah. And in almost maybe even more so in some ways, because you do have this, you know, it's a, it's truly life or death, right? And we yeah. talk about water and then the impact it has on people, it can truly be uh, life or death. And so we have this incredibly impactful mission that you're trying to achieve. And at the same time, live life. And, and I come, you know, I, I, I have a, a, beautiful wife and beautiful kids, son and daughter at home that are also a big responsibility. And, yeah. um, and I want to do well there um, too, of course. So it is a balancing act. I think in some seasons of my life, I do it far better than, than others. Yeah. But it is, it is again, kind of going back to this idea of reflection and personal reflection and, and understanding where, you know, there have been times where I've been home for weeks, but I haven't been home for weeks. You know, if it's, it's, um, and, and when you start to realize that in yourself of like, I can be here, but not be present whatsoever. Um, yeah. until you actually reflect and sit and think about that, you know, you, you'll continue to operate in a way that isn't healthy for, for anyone in the family or anyone at work or so, yeah, that's been a, a huge part of, of my own journey. Hey there, if you've been listening to the podcast long, you've probably heard us talk about intensives. And maybe you've thought, I'm really interested in that, but I don't know if I could find the space, the time, or even the room in my budget to make that work. That's why I want to let you know about a unique way to experience on-site intensives. We are now creating three-day online intensives. They provide you the opportunity to get clear about where you are, how you got there, and how to get where you want to be. Utilizing a variety of experiential tools and techniques, these unique offerings allow you the space and time to explore and stay in an extended space of healing. They're optimized and customized to meet your needs, and they can happen from the comfort of your own home. If you want to learn more about the unique experience of working one-on-one with one of our trusted guides and therapists, you can connect with our admissions team to see if this experience might be right for you. You can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com or give them a call at 800-341-7432. Now, back to the interview. A lot of people have unhealthy (laughs) dynamics with money in particular. And Mm -hmm. even like around fundraising, where Mm -hmm. um, I think like one of the narratives that I got growing up was like, you never ask people for money. Um, I remember like my parents would don't get talk like, about money at all. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, keep it on the talk, DL. For sure. And like, I remember my parents would get like fundraising letters and they would always be kind of disgusted by them. You know, when it was like somebody that was like trying to raise money for support or something like that. So I just, I have had to work with that as I've gotten older and work some in the nonprofit space of like, how do I like overcome these narratives that I believe about money or about fundraising? And just curious, you know, like raising a hundred million dollars is amazing. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of ask. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of think about fundraising and coming alongside people and getting them to leverage their resources for good? For one, I, I think, when you start to experience the power of generosity, um, it's addictive. And, and and when you start realizing that there is actually a job where you can invite others into that journey and, and kind of learning the, the power of gener- generosity. And we always say, you know, generosity begets generosity. And, and you know, typically people will will show up 
um, generous and and in, in one of two ways immediately. One is with their time, the other is with their you know kind of finances. And and when you start to exercise any of those muscles of generosity, whether you know giving out of your time or giving out of your um, financial capacity or whatever that might be, you start to realize how it changes your own life. Mm-hmm. And you know it's interesting. I have friends that will say all the time to me when I think about my career, I think about my job, Ben, I have no idea how you do what you do. I don't know how you could sit with somebody and ask them to give money. And I will typically say, when is the last time you gave a gift? When's the last time you gave a donation? And mm-hmm. they can usually recall the exact moment, the exact time. And why is that? And I'll say, you know, how did you feel you know, when you gave that gift? Oh, I felt great. felt amazing. Um, I loved being able to do that. And I say it typically, you know, exactly. That, that's, that's my job. I get to sit with people and help them feel amazing mm-hmm. and help them channel this, you know, this, this idea of impacting the lives of others in a positive way. And, and if I can provide, if I can be a conduit for that, it, um, it has an impact on my life too. Watching others kind of live out these mm. incredibly generous, we have at Charity Water, we have so many just incredibly generous donors who are connected to the mission. They're connected to the team and they're just, um, you know, so many of them are just generous people. They're just kind, good people that want to make a difference in the world. And thankfully, they have they have the capacity to make to make significant um, differences. And, um, you know, in our case, providing clean water for people who need it. I love that idea of generosity. And I love how you were saying generosity begets generosity. And even that feeling that we have, I think it feels a little counterintuitive like other things in life that giving would actually make me feel more full. Um, Mm. I think there's, I mean, there's studies and there's stats around it that giving of your time or giving of your resources and even gratitude like has a positive impact on your emotional, your physical and your relational health. Um, You sleep better, you tend to like make better decisions around workout gratitude just like changes your whole mindset. Like I think there's just, it feels really counterintuitive in the same way that working six days a week and having one day of rest and working from rest instead of for rest actually, you know, studies show that you're more productive. Um, I think it's just a a really interesting counterintuitive thing that we don't often think about, but I love inviting people into that story. You guys are also being really innovative. What are some of the the innovative ways that Charity Water raises differently or kind of um, sets the bar and leads the way, as you were saying? Yeah. With I mean, I think, as I mentioned, I talked about the 100% model being one yeah. of the kind of distinctives that, that Charity Water has has had um, over the years. I, they were one of the originators of the of the birthday campaign, you know, of giving up yeah. your birthday. And then so many people gave up their birthdays for Charity Water. And of course, now that's that's been adopted by many organizations um, many times over. And you know, just last year we launched the Bitcoin Water Trust, which was uh, you know kind of a, a venture into the cryptocurrency world that a lot of organizations you know, didn't quite know what to do with. And then we um, we did some exploration and, and decided to to launch that fund. And uh, you know, continually, what we're trying to figure out is how do we invite supporters into an experience to their impact yeah. um, that has that where they understand directly. You know, I, I I gave I gave this money, and this is what it did. Uh, you know, we we put uh, we were the first organization to put uh, GPS coordinates on every project. Mm. So you know, you gave yeah. to a particular project, you you sponsored a community, you knew exactly where that community was on the map. You knew how many people lived in that community. 
You know, so I, I think there are some things that we've done from a transparency standpoint um, of connecting mm-hmm. donor to impact that has also been uh, pretty transformative in the space and has really challenged, I think, uh, other organizations to to yeah. think about how do they report back on the impact that they're having so that donors can know that they're the difference that they're making. And again, when they start to understand that, it just it, it just um, incentivizes more generosity. So it, it's, it's really a win win. The, the idea that you are actually making uh, people's financial impact feel more tangible to them is really cool because mm-hmm. it's helping them combat, I think, the, the feeling that we all feel, which one of the clinicians we've worked with called existential despair, the mm-hmm. idea that the world is sort of out of control and there's nothing I can mm-hmm. do about it, that like as you can start to funnel your resources towards things that like make you feel like you have more control mm-hmm. and more purpose in this world and that yeah. there is like good happening is actually really grounding and then it just helps people begin to feel less why it begins Helpless. Yeah, less hopeless, helpless, mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> helpless, helpless, yeah. both. Yeah, we did an episode on that a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things that, you know, we, we talk about you know, one of our, kind of one of the lines we use pretty consistently within, within the organization is we, we want to solve the water crisis in our lifetime. This mm. idea of solving the water crisis, providing clean water to everybody that, that, that needs it in our lifetime. And, and so it is, it's this, it's this kind of, it's solvable problem that, you know, we we just recently updated number. I, I gave 771 million people who don't have access to clean water. That that number was a billion when Charity Water started. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think about the 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 change that's happened over the time, the advancement, the the positive momentum, and it is. And, and the more we can report that back to people that are giving, they don't feel like they're just throwing their money into something that they don't know what if they're actually having an impact or making a difference um, or, or moving the world to a better place. We, you know, we, we really feel that there's, there's true momentum uh, here and change happening. I love that. Um, my daughter this week got a water baby and I was oh, opening yeah. the box for her and on the back I was like, Oh, it's charity water. Yeah. We like, have partnerships with water babies. Yeah. Love seeing that. What's a water baby. It's like a little doll that you fill with water Um it was very big in the 90s, so I had a water baby. So my mom sent her a water baby, and you fill it with water, and it feels like kind of like a body, you know, like it's more sensory. I don't know. But there was something on the back that just said, you know, it talked all about water and how essential it is and quoting how many people don't have access to water. And kind of I thought it was a really cool way to open up that conversation. Yeah. One, as a consumer, like, oh, this is great, and I feel like, I feel good that my purchase could have an impact, but also I think it was an opportunity and my daughter is young, but it, if I, if she was a little older, it'd be an opportunity to, to open her eyes and start that conversation about, Hey, there are people in the world who don't have access to clean water and it's an opportunity to engage another generation or engage, you know, her with ideas around that because I worry so much about her exposure to things that are different than her to exposure to the injustice in the world and, and all of that. And so I wonder for you, like, what does it do for you as a human to be exposed to people um, who are different than you, to, to be exposed to the poverty? I know that you spent a good chunk of your career, like, putting yourself 
in positions to see the disparity in the world. And I often think of that quote, like you can never again say you didn't know. Like what happens in you as a human after you know? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's perspective, right? It's it's just truly a, a reckoning and understanding with um, our own privilege um, yeah. and, and what we're able to be a part of and what, you know, the idea that I live in a three bedroom house that has 15 different places throughout it with water coming into the house. So mm. water is coming into my house in 15 different places. Now, a couple of those are toilets, right? I have a laundry room, a washing machine, but 15 different spots in my three bedroom home that water is coming in. And yet we, you know, I can, I can take a trip where I'm not sitting on a plane for very long and people are hiking miles mm-hmm. to collect, you know, buckets or jerry cans of, of water that, that weigh crazy amounts of, um, you know, 40 pounds and they're putting them on their shoulders and they're walking back uphill and, you know, miles at a time, it can't help but change you and make you feel incredibly grateful, but also compelled to, to do something because the other piece of it is, you know, as, as you, as you travel and as you get to spend time with these amazing, incredibly resilient people, you know, it's challenging in so many ways um, and, yeah. and the way that they look at life and how they approach life and where they find happiness um, and how they find happiness. And one of the, one of the big things that we always kind of stays at the at top of mind for us at Charity Water is, is how to continuously tell the story while also maintaining dignity um, of those because yeah. we have so much to learn from them um, as well, you know, and uh I, I feel so grateful to have traveled, you know, to I don't know how many countries now and and spent time with um, some of the most amazing people I've ever, I've ever met in my life. Yeah, it just reminds me of that there are just so many different types of poverty, you know, like we can yeah. be relationally poor, we can be Absolutely. spiritually poor, we can be physically poor, you know, that in my experience, getting to travel with some nonprofits that I've worked with, that there is such a spirit of uh, yeah, resilience, like you mentioned, but also like hope and joy and mm. simplicity in communities that often don't have financial resources, but they, it's like there's so much to learn and gain from them that it, it is really so helpful to have that perspective shift. Because yeah. I think that even like we live in a culture where we're constantly looking for more you know, yeah. it's like whatever we have is never enough. Yeah. And we always feel like we're lacking something. And mm-hmm. how do we get out of that mindset where we can start to like be present and recognize that we have more than enough, you yes. know, like that we should, don't need to be operating in scarcity all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was recently having a conversation with a donor and just this incredible family based out of Texas. And I was asking, I was kind of asking him about how he approaches, you know, he and his wife approach their own giving and, and, and how they give as a family. And he said, basically, they came up with a number that they said, we feel like this number, if, if, if we can live off of this every year and our kids have what they need, we have what we need, we can have life experiences, we can travel some, which is important to them. You know, we can do things for each other. We can do things for others we're going to, we're going to live off of that and we're going to give the rest away. 
So anything we make above and beyond that, we give it away. And they do every wow, yeah. single year. They just, you know, and, and he's had a, he's had a business and you know, he's founded a business and then sold it and, um, and has, has, has done really well. And, and um, they're just this incredibly generous people who have decided that there is a certain number mm. that is enough, right? It's enough for them. And above and beyond that, they're going to give it away. Um, what a way to live. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that family even engaging in their their kids in that. Like, hey, we're yeah. you're a part of this. You're a part of the family. You're a part of the narrative and and the intentional exposure that that creates and, and generosity yeah. that you see in in your family culture. That's so cool. Yeah, what you think about family legacy, you know, yeah. and, and what they're the impression that they're as they're shaping their kids right now. And what their kids are growing up in and, and really understanding what, what that legacy is going to be and the impact that they're going to have on so many, I mean, millions of people. Shifting gears a little bit as we start to land the plane, um, one of the things that I know having worked for you and being close mm. to your family is that like, I feel like you are such a champion of strong women. And mm. I just am curious sort of where that came from in you? And then what uh, wisdom would you share with other men about how to be a better champion for women? <laughs> oh, it's so interesting that you say that because I, I've honestly, um, I don't know that I've, I've really intentionally thought about that directly. I think what my dad is, my dad is a, is a champion of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried to absorb as much of that as I possibly could and, and, and live it out in my own life. And, you know, part of my dad's legacy is kindness. Mm -hmm. He is just, just one of the kindest individuals you could possibly ever meet. And he, you know, he kind of, he tried to instill that in us, I think as, as, our, as kids, um, my, my brother and my sister and myself of, you know, we may not be the best at this or we may not be the best at that, but we can live a life of kindness mm -hmm. um, and empowering others. You know, that's so critical. And so I hope, Lindsay, that maybe what you've experienced or what you've seen in me in that is um, uh, understanding this idea of we live in, a, in an inequitable culture, right? And, and, um, and, and thankfully, I do feel and, and I'm hopeful that progress is being made, but you know, we haven't, we haven't gone far enough or fast enough. Um, yeah. And so if I can help, if I can help continue to move that along and, and, and hopefully um, continue that momentum of, of equity across the board and, and, and what that means for championing others, gosh, honestly, it means a lot that you say, would say that um, mm -hmm. because I honestly, I haven't, I haven't necessarily thought of it that way, but I love that you've experienced it. Yeah, I definitely experienced it. You also didn't don't have a lot of choice because I feel like all the women that you've surrounded yourself with, but you've chosen them, are just like amazingly strong and vibrant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, you do such a great job of letting them shine and be fully themselves. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It means a lot. I love that. I love that you called that out on him, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. I think... That just warmed my heart over here. I was like, oh, that's so, <laughs> I know. so true and so cool. Well, I feel like Ben and then Orion on our mm -hmm. team are like 
two of the biggest feminists I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you also would be in that group, Mackenzie. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's just hard. Like, I think I'm cognizant of it raising young white male, you know? Yeah. It's like mm. how, um, you know, he's only three months old. But, like, I'm already having conversations. Not yeah. sure what he's comprehending of them about, like, just his privilege and my privilege. And, you yeah. know, like trying to uh, just instill that awareness in Mm -hmm. him at such an early age. And it feels like a lot of responsibility. Mm. Like, how do we do this right? So. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Amplifying voices that need to be um, and that should be amplified, you know, across the, across the board, right. Regardless of what uh, to me is, is so critical and, and so important. We are having the same conversations with our kids, um, and hopefully, they will, um, you know, they'll they'll understand their their own responsibility and what that means for them. Mm-hmm. Look at you guys! I just love it. Intentional parenting over here, <laughs> and I'm just grateful for you, Ben. And I I am watching Lindsay seek out like people. I feel like you are taking that responsibility, and I'm watching you. Of like, okay, I want to surround Ben. Ben, your Ben. Um, Baby Ben. <laughs> Baby Ben with strong men and with understanding of all of that. And you're just like inviting in so many beautiful voices. And so I love that. Um, ben, Ben Green, what we kind of ask people often on this podcast, like what are some of the practices that help you stay grounded um, and centered? I would say I have a, I have a kind of a little mantra that I keep at my desk every day that I read to myself. Um, that I read every morning, but I have it right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it just um, a sticky note? It's a, it's actually like a, a half a piece of like a little legal pad. Um, gotcha. Where did that practice come from? Like how long have you um, been doing that? And how did you start to formulate those words if somebody else wants to create their own mantra? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, a, a professional coach, like an executive coach. Um, oh, great. That whenever I would come, to uh, to the sessions and they would say um, okay here's what I want here's what I want you to do how do you want to show up how do you feel like you should be showing up mm. let's talk about what are some so the, the practice was what are a few words that you hear people constantly call out in you so what do mm. you hear most frequently about yourself and then what are areas that you doubt in yourself but that you've also heard people say the opposite of what you believe. So this kind of goes back to the first part of the conversation, Lindsay, when I was talking about it's both and, right? It's, yeah. it's understanding kind of your, your weaknesses, but it's also believing in your strengths um, yeah. and, and trusting in them, right? And, and so this is really a mantra for me around my, you know, me telling myself and affirming in myself of my strengths, and learning to trust them and learning to believe in them. And so, so that's, that's, that's one thing um, that I do. I'm constantly learning. I'm, I'm, I'm reading, always reading something and trying to. Um, what are you reading right now? I have actually Martha Beck. I don't know if you're familiar with Martha Beck. She wrote a book called Finding Your North Star. And so I was, I've been rereading some of that. She has another book that you love, Martha Beck. Oh, the way of integrity is probably what I yes, told you. Yes, that about. was exactly what it right? was. Yes, yes, the way of integrity. This idea that that living in 
in full alignment with your strengths and what you bring to this world is integrity. I kind of grew up with this idea of integrity being rightness or correctness when in actuality, there's this kind of bigger and broader and more beautiful way of thinking about integrity in that it's living into the fullest and best version of who you are as a human being. That's integrity. That's Um, that's Martha Beck. Uh, I just stole all those words from Martha Beck. But actually, Julie... Julie Smith, our CEO. Yes, the CEO gave me um, or gave me a recommendation for a book called The Conflict Pivot um, and this idea of healthy tension within within companies or organizations and managing that well and understanding when tension is is constructive and then understanding and and learning about when it's actually destructive and and when it can tear down a culture. Um, And so I've been studying and learning a little bit about about that. And I'm one that likes to doesn't like to be like to help to let tension settle within a meeting or let it kind of fester. Mm -hmm. And so I like to quickly address it and move on um, to something else. Um, I want to kind of keep the peace, but I'm, I'm trying to strengthen that in myself and learning that part of leadership is allowing healthy tension to exist and healthy conflict to exist in meetings and culture and understanding that it's, it's in a lot of times in that conflict that, that growth happens. I think Julie specifically said something around innovation actually happens at, at its at its best immediately following some some deep conflict um, and so of good conflict healthy conflict. Yeah, I I feel like tension gets such a bad rap. Yeah. Like, and yeah. the visual I always think about around sort of tension and living in tension is sort of tug of war. Mm. And you picture yourself sort of in the the back and forth of the rope and it's held taut with tension. And then when somebody lets go, it just goes limp. You know, everyone yeah. kind of comes flying. And I think that that picture has been helpful for me of like just appreciating that we're all still holding the rope and we're still trying to like wrestle it back and forth and get to the best solution versus like quitting and giving up or, you know, taking yeah. out the other side. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've always been a champion of hiring like diversity of thought um, mm-hmm. and opinions and, and understanding like having a good balance on a team of people who just approach life very differently and think very differently. But I've never been good at, at allowing some of the tension and the conflict to to actually exist in, in that thought and in that in those opinions and, and how how they approach, whether it's work or framework um, and how to address um, systems or, you know, that type of thing. And and. And I'm learning, I'm, I'm pushing myself now intentionally to, to really, you know, lean into that uh, and allow some of that to take place in a healthy way. There's a part of you that values that. Like, even if you are nervous about it, you must value it by inviting it to the table. For sure. For sure. Yes, I, I, I definitely see the benefit. Um, <laughs> but I think it's allowing the process that, that seems a bit yeah. scary to me. It's scary in practice. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ben. This has been so great. And I'm just so grateful that I got to spend a little bit more time with you and get to know you a little better. No, it's great to hang out with you too. And please, Lindsay, give Ben a big hug for me. I will. (laughs) Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.